Okay, I have been waiting a while to get uh, uh, this episode on the air. And, uh, you know, I never uh, had a chance. I never really even had met uh, Jim Ross before we had this conversation because uh, when I was with the WWF at the time, uh, Jim was not there. He was down south with the WCW. And, uh, of course, he uh, certainly ended up having a tremendous career with the WWE, still a big part of that company and uh, the many other things that he does. But it was really awesome to uh, talk with him about the business and where he came from and uh, his persistence. I mean, (laughs) how many times did the guy lose a job, but he just kept coming back? And uh, certainly when people uh, think of uh, announcers, uh, ringside announcers, and he's done a lot of other sports, uh, certainly professional wrestling, uh, his name is right there among the best in the business. So... Let's get to my conversation with Jim Ross. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, Folks, I am very honored to welcome a man who is truly a legend in the world of professional wrestling. And for those of us who had the honor of working in the business and broadcasting, uh, you understand even more why I am so excited about having this guest on primetime. Uh, Not only for what he accomplished behind the mic, not only because he's a WWE Hall of Famer, but also uh, for the road that he has traveled throughout an incredible career. Jim Ross, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, Jim, I consumed Slobberknocker, uh, the bestseller, I should mention. And there is, there is so much in this book. Uh, but I have to, you know, to kind of start this, I, w- I wanted to ask you about the start of the book. Because uh, it, it seemed like such a poignant moment or, or uh, you know, time for you. It was, uh, you know, uh, WrestleMania 15, you start this book. And I wanted to ask you, you know, why was that something that, that has, that of all uh, that you have, had done, to begin there? Well, uh, we had a chronological uh, GPS in mind writing it, and I... One of my pet peeves, and, I, and I've enjoyed so many wrestling books, right. books written by my peers and guys. Uh, I sometimes it's the old adage of trying to uh, put four pounds of manure in a two-pound bag. <laughs> I wanted to know more detail. I wanted to have a little bit more, uh, uh, vo- you know, volume of stories. But there was so much, and I didn't want the book to be intimidating to buy off the shelf. Right. So, a long story short, uh, we had an idea. That, that was our stopping place. Right. Paul O'Brien had the idea that, <clears throat> and it's brilliant, to start the book with where we're going to finish. Right. If that makes any sense. In other words, it's like booking a wrestling storyline. We yeah. knew how the book was going to end, and we built to that. Yeah. And we give you a teaser, just kind of lay the, the lay of the land on the, uh, how it started. So, and I, it just was a unique time because that was my second bout of Bell's palsy, the facial paralysis thing. Yeah. And I thought that an HDTV was getting kind of, you know, it was, here we come. And, and the TV business has always been a looks business, uh, in every generation and it changed. It's not going to change. Right. It's not for old guys like me. And when <laughs> you, uh, uh, a round face and an Oklahoma accent and three bouts of facial paralysis. You know, somebody's 
your, the chances of making it being successful in broadcasting are somewhat lessened. So consequently, I thought, well, uh, this is it. HD is going to bite me in the butt. And uh, I said, this will be my last, well, at least I got to call some WrestleMania. So in that respect. So, but luckily for me, I made it through and crowd, I think, embraced me more uh, and yeah. under the circumstances. And, uh, and it's been uh, a beautiful journey and re- relationship with them since. I know your one of your, your favorite quotes, you actually start the book with it with uh, his courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway, uh, you know, crediting John Wayne. But what I loved about the description of that right from the beginning is it, uh, it kind of summed up for me courage in a sense that what you had dealt with all along the way had kind of all come together. You had all these things happening at this point in time in your life, and yet you still had to get up in front of, a, as we always refer to it, you know, the red light, and you had to answer the call. And uh, did, it, did it seem uh, to you at that point in time that, uh, you know, after all you'd done and all the different times where you had to answer, this was the toughest moment that you had to do that ever? Yeah, that was a... Uh... That, that was a tough time. You know, when you have been a chubby kid all your life, yeah. uh, you're, you're unfortunately uh, the object of uh, bullying and like fat shaming, mm-hmm. ridiculous things like that that I've, I'm totally appalled by because I was a victim for years and yeah. years. Yeah. Then you finally get away from those, the adolescents. But you find out, unfortunately, that there are others, adults in this case, who, who feel the same way. We just have a different way of positioning it. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, uh, most guys are, don't have the balls to tell you what they're thinking. But a kid does because he's a kid. Yeah. And he's talking to a kid. So I just had all this. I, I, I felt like every show was, I was on, on thin ground. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. I, it took me 19 years, Sean, to get to WWE. 19. Yeah. I was no overnight sensation, shall we say. Mm-hmm. But I, but the game changes when you go there. Yeah. And uh, I, we, we, we get off the track here a little bit, but uh, when you mention about, you know, being a chubby kid growing up, and I was a, this, I was on the other spectrum. I was this stick figure uh, growing up, and, and we grew up on a part of town that wasn't great. Um, but I, I, I wonder how much of a driving force that was for you, because I remember growing up, my, my whole uh, being was to, I'm going to show those people. And then you get to a point where, uh, where you, you know, uh, you reached a, a great amount of success and I don't know if it was the same for you, but then you go, you know, it, that leaves you, that's no longer the driving force and you kind of let it go. Was there, I don't know if you, if you've ever been able to do that, but do you understand what I'm, what I, what, what I mean when I say that? It hasn't left me yet. I haven't, yeah. I haven't got there. There's still that I, kid. <laughs> I, there's, there's so much, uh, egocentric competition egocentric driven competition even now in the land of uh of wrestling broadcasters yeah uh because of social media social media has changed everything including what we're doing right now uh so no i i I haven't got past it man i but see even now i work with another uh enemy known enemy it's called age Mm -hmm. ageism is not a pretty thing i used to 
void office. All right, the hell. Come on, man. Go over yourself. Right. Until you get that, until you get that arena, then you say, well, hey, hold yeah. on now. Till you're that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. You know, yeah. Hey, I, can, so I, was, I was ready to go to Twitter today. Somebody said, uh, well, I pay $10 a month for New Japan World uh, streaming service, so I don't have to listen to that team on Access TV, which is Josh Barnett and myself. Yeah. And uh, it was, it, it's just funny how yeah. when you were in WWE and in that era, you would never hear that because social media was essentially – you know, non-existent. No, not at all. Uh, we still had to go to the library to look things up. We didn't oh, <laughs> have the answer in eight seconds. Yeah, uh, shame on you. Yeah. I, I want to take you back because, you know, I, I'm fascinated now since I started doing this podcast and I get to talk to so many of these great personalities um, from the, the world of wrestling, uh, professional wrestling. And one thing that, uh, that amazes me, now I traveled a different road in, in, in broadcasting. I did not... Uh, grow up uh in the the wrestling world it, i was uh, you know in broadcasting from a different way i was one of those who vince brought in from the outside broadcast world uh I, it was you know tough at times but when i look at the guys that really made it that that had these tremendous impacts on the industry they're the guys that were uh, as kids just mesmerized by professional wrestling it was something that was in their soul that they wanted to do and beyond that they wanted to be uh, so much a part of it that they didn't care what they had to do to get there. So Cokes, uh, take Coates back to the locker room. And I know, uh, you know, you growing up in, in uh, Westville uh, in Oklahoma, uh, that's how it started for you. Yeah, I, it started with me as a family event. It, yeah. was on the, it was on, I had this ritual on Saturday night. I was the only child, had 160, on a 160-acre farm that was adjacent to all my, my grandfather and my uncle's uh, land. Yeah. So all together they had, you know, six, eight hundred acres of land. And and dairy a dairy farm. I mean you milk cows every day. <laughs> and uh That I wasn't like for milk, you, huh? <laughs> I like milk, but I don't like the the udder. So uh <laughs> and, and getting up at four in the morning. Yeah. Uh so uh on Saturday night, my mom and dad finally got to go out. Uh and so I stayed with my grandparents a mile away. I spent the night there. And we had this ritual, Sean, on Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, we would watch uh, Perry Mason, Gunsmoke, oh, yeah. the local news, which would be on at 10 our time in Oklahoma, yeah. Central Time, uh-huh. and then wrestling. <laughs> and during wrestling, the wrestling show, as the news was tapering down, my grandmother would bring uh, us a dish of a heaping helping of vanilla ice cream and Hershey syrup out of a can poured on top of it oh, we did yeah. every Saturday night. Maybe that's a backstory to my being o- overweight and being bullied. I don't know, <laughs> but I sure as hell loved it. But I love the, uh, it was a family thing, and uh, I miss my grandparents, as we all, many of us do, and that was a key time for us. We bonded there. Yeah. So it meant more than just the, the good guy versus the bad guy, but it was, kind of was at that time that simple. It was a home team and an away team. Right. It was the home and the visitors. Yeah. It was a it was a good good entity and a protagonist entity, or antagonist entity, I should say. Yeah. So uh, it was great. That's where it started, and I I was captivated by it. I can't tell you exactly why, but there's something about the genre and what it 
expelled that that uh, really stuck with me. And you know, so you know how the story how I got in the business. So I was I backed into that deal too because of misbehaving in a fraternity. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's just. But I'm a lifer. I'm a lifer, and I've gone through all kinds of. I've, it's my job and my love of the business has adversely affected my first two marriages. Yeah. I take responsibility for that, as you read, because I believe I was the guilty party. I put my work and my my professional drive above my family, which anybody that's listening, if you don't remember any damn thing else we talk about here, is the fact that your family has to come first. And you can justify every way you want about, well, what about your job? I don't have a job. I don't have a family. That's that's taking a cop out, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's BS. Come on. The family comes first, and if you love them and you embrace them, you will find a way to take care of them. That's what we do. Yeah, when you talk about, you know, providing a check, and I know a lot of the uh... – uh, boys that have been in the business, you know, over the years, and and the women as well. Uh, the uh, the biggest thing that uh, price they pay is the loss of that that connection to family, because of the demands that it takes on the road. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, you know, how you this was kind of in your soul, and you remember, you can, you know, just hearing you, how fondly you remember uh, watching those uh, wrestling matches with your grandparents. Does it uh, make you understand why so many fans out there are so uh, enamored and so crazy about that era. Uh, we're talking the eighties and nineties, you know, and, uh, we, we see it, you know, even today, but it takes them back to their childhood. And it took me a while to understand that, but now I absolutely get it. The, uh, territory era of wrestling when there were, you know, 25 or 30, uh, different territories, yeah. they called them yeah. franchises, if you will, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Uh, and there wasn't a national overlay. Everything was regional. Uh-huh. And yes, some regions were more lucrative than others. Uh, so uh, I, it, it got ingrained in us. That we, uh, in a lot of towns, Sean, the, the wrestling, the weekly wrestling show sufficed as their local sports franchise. Yeah. Now, somebody's going to say, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah, no, I get it. The old bastard's got a complete scene now right here talking to Sean. No, <laughs> the deal is they were there every week. Yeah. You saw the stars as you saw on television drop by the VFW or the, yeah. or, or like for me in Shreveport, the Irish McNeil Boys Club and a zillion other arenas I could name. But that's the deal, man. It, it re- takes you back to a different time where often those times were the best times. Yeah. Were you the guy, though, that were you not dreaming so much of you being that guy in the ring as I want to be no. the guy calling those matches? And I really found this is one thing I found really interesting, too, that in a, an indirect way, your father made you uh, an announcer and, and, and was all, and training you, not even realizing it, because you mentioned how you, you, know, you wanted to keep his attention and you knew when he would drift and you would cons- make your stories more concise. Do you, th- do you think that that in a lot of ways he was the he was the man who trained you early on? Inadvertently, he didn't have a clue what he was doing either. <laughs> right. But Daddy had a he had a very short uh, attention span. Yeah. And he was like, uh, I was in a meeting one time with Vince, and it might have been me he's talking to. Very easily could have been. He said, uh, "Oh man, just tell me what time it is, not how to make the watch." <laughs> and he kind of stopped in your tracks because. 
you hear this as some ham and egg guy. Yeah. yeah. You hear it from the guy. Yeah. So I learned if I'm going to be successful here, uh, I have to be able to communicate with this man right here, this guy. Right. If you can't, uh, don't don't buy any property. Just rent. Uh, and so nonetheless, uh, I learned how to communicate with him, and I rose to the position of the EVP of the company in charge of the, of the precious title roster. Because mm-hmm. I still think the title roster is the heartbeat to that company. Yeah. It's like a football team. And the 53-man roster, uh, it's all about the roster. It's not about the team pitcher, how they good everybody looks. It's not about the uniforms. It's about, do we win games with these 53? Mm-hmm. And that's why I looked at our deal. I looked at everything we did as a, uh, a as if I was recruiting at a Division One college or I was scouting the combine mm-hmm. for the next wave of draft picks in the NFL. Very seriously and very thorough. And uh, so then, so I had so much information to process. If I had not changed my ways, and a lot of us just try to spend more, the longer you tell a story like, like this, or in this instance, a lot of guys have done that with Vance because they wanted more FaceTime. They yeah. wanted to extend their FaceTime. All the while not knowing that he's sitting there fuming. Yeah. Like, get so to the I point. I learned early on <laughs> telling what time it is yeah. and the, for the watchmaking. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jim, I want to take you back, though. As I mentioned uh, when we first started talking here, that I uh, have learned so much more. I mean, I, I you know, uh, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes was a very close friend of mine and really my mentor along with uh, Gorilla uh, Gino. Um, yep. But I know you had uh, quite a few along your way as well. But, but I, I'm so fascinated. I learned more and more about what that life was like back then. And mm-hmm. I, I think, like, how did people stay in this? Um, you know, your beginnings with, with uh, you know, Bill Watts, and Leroy McGurk, uh, and, and basically just doing anything they asked. Unbelievable hours, as you mentioned, the the relationships that that you, that uh, were that you lost over it. What uh, it was a tremendous training ground. But how in the world were you able to continue to do that? Did you just love it that much, or or what was your driving force? Because it that was would be so the only thing that I would say that's certainly in place is that I. I truly love the the process. Uh, I enjoyed everything around the matches, the build, the storytelling, the booking, uh, you know, uh, promotions in an arena. Uh, and then when I started working uh, with Vince to manage the uh, roster, then I got involved in recruiting and training and mentoring. That was my favorite part of just about anything I've ever done. Yeah. I love the mentoring and the training and the being able to offer some advice to some of these young kids, uh, and I still do. I love that. But I guess also, Sean, I I rose to a certain level of perception anyway of being a uh, you know better than average uh, play-by-play guy, mm-hmm. and not in a not real crowded world, which is what it is, good or bad. Uh, but I think I was also very worried about failing or about, you know, uh, getting to the point of for people that were fans of mine are beginning to feel sorry for me because I've fallen from grace that far. I, th- I think there's ego issues there, too, in my view, and for me. 
and insecurity, anxiety. Uh, and, you know, I was, I, uh, I used to be a big, as you saw in the book, you know, I was a, I self-medicated because I, I had sleep apnea and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't sleep, so I'm, I'm all over the ambient. Then I, I was getting all this, these, uh, you know, the, my ego and my, my mortality and my age uh, affected me. So that calls for, I tell my doctor, well, that calls for Xanax. Mm. So it's used now I'm doing, I'm doing both Ambien and Xanax. Uh, so it was just a, a fait accompli. It was not a good thing. So I quit all opiates. I don't even take pain pills. Uh-huh. I took a pain pill for a surgery I had done, one, uh, but, but I just, I just don't, I don't believe in it. I, I'm just, I, I, I was, I've been a prisoner of it, and it didn't, I didn't, I didn't like how it looked. Yeah, well, that was pretty much the culture back then, though, and uh, and you have to understand too, for uh, folks, for a lot of these uh, wrestlers, were you know, it was getting up in the morning, finding a gym, get being able to perform that night, then being able to shut down, and it, and it's. Uh, you know, it was it was quite the culture at at the time? Um, yeah, the and, the, and, the no the non off season yeah. really is an adverse uh, can be an yeah. adverse uh, facet of being in that business. Yeah, because a lot of guys get on the road and they find they like it because they're, they're a lot of them are, are are adored and and you know oh, sure. and there's there's the there's the people that want to be friendly with them et cetera et cetera. Yeah, it's there, man. So. Uh, I, 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 you're, you're, you're right on money on that deal. The, that's how those guys. And by the way, uh, I wanted to mention because I'm far forget. Alfred and uh, Gorilla were also two of my mentors. You know, Alfred and I had did not get along well when I first yeah. Came. I found that interesting. Uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's interesting. But go on. I'm sorry. No, it's like, no. It's it, uh, it. The the good news is that I was misrepresented to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some people there that were so naive that thought I was a double agent. <laughs> right? I mean, are you are you kidding me? Come on, grow up. I'm working and for Bob, a living. I remember telling, uh, uh, telling uh, after Alfred gave me a cold shoulder one day and hit it one at, at one twenty Hamilton. He said, uh, "I grill pulling uh, Alfred off the side." And said, "You should be ashamed of yourself." Mm. Or Alfred, nobody's going to cross Gorilla, right? No. Absolutely not. He was the, he was the big daddy, and he commanded respect. Plus, he had a very physical presence and a heart of gold. God dang, I miss him. Mm-hmm. Me too. So he he said to Alfred, Alfred, you should be ashamed of yourself. He's a territory guy. He paid his dues. He hauled the ring. He refereed, and he he survived Bill Watts. <laughs> so Alfred, all of a sudden, has a different bit of information to judge me by. Yeah. And so, uh, but between gorilla and Heenan, yeah. uh, I had great chaperones that helped me navigate my way because here is the voice of the enemy. Turner's yeah. WW coming in. Uh, and a lot of people just thought that it was a bad hire because, you know, that was, the hire was unique how, how it came about, but, it was Vince's call, so you know it, it's a good idea when Vince is around. Sometimes when he's not around, people like to express themselves in a different manner. Yeah. And so, but anyway, I, I would. Is Sean career-wise, uh, 
professionally in every aspect, coming to WWE in 1993 was the smartest thing that I ever did. Yeah. By far. And, and I and I definitely want to get to that, and we will, Jim. But I I am uh, I want to talk about that road you traveled though to get there because you mentioned it took you all those years. And uh, a lot of it involved Bill Watts. And I, I wanted to hear from you, what was it about him that had such an influence on you and, and how he impacted your life? Because, you know, you hear uh, two different sides to the man in a lot of ways. There are people that just uh, despised him and others who uh, just, you know, uh, loved him and, and, and credit him for making them better in front of a camera and being... Uh, you know, the psychology that was involved in becoming, you know, really superstars, getting them there to the WWF slash WWE. I would say that uh, I would be on the side of those that love Bill. Yeah. Uh, not to say that I never had days where I just detested him. I did. Plenty of them. Mm -hmm. And if he was sitting here, he'd laugh right now because he knows it's true. But <laughs> big deal. Uh, Cowboy was a lot like my dad. Really big, powerful, uh, alpha male could do, could back up what he said he was going to do. Uh, and dad was the same way. He wanted to show me how to do something one time. Hence dad was a, tell me what time it is. Don't show me the, don't t how, tell me how to build a watch guy. Yeah. Uh, and cowboy had less time because he <laughs> had the to run. He was the top baby face in the territory. He was the booker. He was the, he owned half the territory. I mean, he was ubiquitous. Yeah. And uh, so he was uh, like this Lombardi is the best. For anybody that I could tell you uh, who was a sports fan or followed, followed the game over the years, at least it's still relevant because the, the winner of the Super Bowl gets the Lombardi trophy. Uh, he's that guy. Thorough, intelligent, educated, a man's man didn't have the most graceful social skills sometimes in mm -hmm. his world. Now, when he was uh, not in his world and he was, you know, having a meeting or something, we had hundreds of them with TV people, politicians, et cetera, et cetera. He was, he was, uh, he was absolutely like a maestro. Mm -hmm. We know they talk about they talk about the you know the Monday Night Wars and how much that changed professional wrestling forever, but don't you think that back uh, during that period uh, before the '90s there when everything was happening, um, well I'd say even early, earlier than that, but you know where everything was colliding, you had Crockett, you had Turner involved in this Watts, and everybody fighting for national territory. I guess it got to that point. Right. Do you think, though, when you look at that now, that that might have been the most important era ever in uh, professional wrestling when all that happened and then how it all uh, shook out at the end? Well, it significantly changed the landscape because yeah. look at how many of those key players are no longer key players. Yeah, I'm kidding. And the, the last survived and the last man standing was Vince. Right. And some people get pissed off at that. So they had a, they had a competition, they had a fight, they had the old wrestling war. In a war, last I looked, there's going to be casualties. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't want to engage and become a potential uh, casualty, then move to Switzerland. <laughs> it's neutral, I'm told. But it's a wrestling, man. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, 
it's a, the most one of the most unique businesses. I'm sure that no matter all the successes that you've had and you're and you're having now, there's no way you wouldn't say that the WWE experience for you has was probably one of the most unique uh, runs that you could ever have. Oh, absolutely. Could, you know. So anyway, it took me uh, years to realize it, but yeah, absolutely, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's fine. Cowboys uh, was Vince Lombardi, and people sometimes thought he was overbearing, and he was, by the way, yeah. at times. But he had, you know, when you when you wear that many hats, no pun intended, cowboy. But when you wear that many hats, you don't have a lot of free time, <laughs> and you need you need people that are self starters that give him answers. And at a very young age, my early twenties, I did that. And at that point on, I was almost like a made man. I had a place with him for as long as he was in the wrestling business, yeah. which well, I trust his business for him. Yeah, and, and, and uh, enough that he trusted you to go to that meeting with uh, with Crockett. Uh, yeah. Was it? And I wanted it wasn't real clear in the book, but I, was it uh, was it a four million dollar price tag that they settled on? I think it was. But I know from my uh, five points that it didn't, it didn't come in that way. There was. I was going to say that five points didn't exactly end up like that, did it? No, 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 no. I didn't. It, it, but uh, I believe that. Uh, far from it, by the way. Yeah, uh, I, I believe that the issue was the uh, Crockett business model got turned upside down, and and then that's when uh, Jim Barnett. Uh, help broker Turner Broadcasting to buy the company and, and name it WCW. Right. So, so I, I, I think there's there's no money there. I think he ran out of money. Huh? I got. I'm gonna tell you this. I got a check for ten grand for putting a whole four million dollar deal together. <laughs> You're yeah. probably the flying home there's thinking. More. Wait, there's more. <laughs> I live in Dallas then. Yeah. And he said the only way I'm gonna pay you if you'll fly to Tulsa and take me to dinner. <laughs> an expensive Cowboy. one too, right? Oh hell yeah! Oh yeah, we didn't go to Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> but That's I have to I like. imagine, Jim, you were in that plane thinking, "Hmm, how am I going to spend this money? Five percent of four mil? Wow!" You know, you we were probably counting, <laughs> counting the dollars. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, I knew that there was. It, I knew that it was uh, the number was going to be less, but I was kind of surprised and, and not pleasantly so that it had cut in half, but, uh, I did understand the math on the deal and, you know, so, but anyway, nonetheless, uh, it was a, yeah, it was a key time because Crockett fell by the wayside. Yep. Turner fell by the wayside. Eventually. Yeah. I fell by the wayside and, uh, the big Irishman up there in Connecticut was the last guy standing. And, and I, I, I'm so damn glad he did. Because, <laughs> yeah, well, here's kidding. the thing about Sean as a broadcaster. Yeah. When he signed you, he told the world that I don't, I'm not going to build my business in all these other, all these areas where you got to be an ex wrestler to be a broadcaster. Yeah, exactly. He gave he, you a job that led yeah. to other jobs and experience and a paycheck. And so, uh, he, this was the guy that was going to take care of people like you and me. Mm-hmm. Wrestling business and the formula they used for the payoffs at that time and the 
percentage of the gates and all that stuff, that was in place. Yeah. For peripheral for guys like you and I, it's, it's, uh, it's put on your big boy pants and start negotiating. Yeah. And, the, and they, they, here's the other thing about that. The old ex-wrestling promoters, like Cowboy, who was a star wrestler, mm-hmm. he was headlining in the Madison Square Garden three years in the business. They always believe that not only are they physically alpha males, they're smarter than you. I yeah. admit, a lot, every, every wrestling promoter that was a former wrestler that, owned, that, that bought into a territory or owned a territory always thought, at least in my experience, and maybe they're right, by the way, I don't know, that they're smarter than you. <laughs> and uh, But this is a guy that was going to take care of the key people around him. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I had to... Turner finally got it in my last two or three years there. They finally got it. Because uh, I said, how could you pay the baseball guys uh, or the basketball guys you know, that you own yeah. X dollars when their ratings are half of mine? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but you're doing wrestling. Goes, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> right. So, ratings are ratings. Numbers are numbers. As uh, an advertising guy, I know you used to show up with those numbers and say, hey, we're not, not even talking the program here. Look at these numbers. And you're right. And that's what uh, what the WWE has certainly done to the cable world, for sure. It, those, those cats uh, that they're that's broadcasting, yeah. Uh, I, I look at some of their schedules and said, man, this, I hope they realize what a great gig they've got. Yeah. The TV, okay. the, the TV broadcaster, because uh, hey, look, you ain't got to you, you got to do some prep work, biographical prep, prep work, which you always update. That's easy, and you yeah. should be doing that anyway. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they they get great treatment, and uh, you know, their TV crew is second to none in the world, in my view. Yeah. So you know, Jim, you, you you realized early on that you had a talent for this business on on the the business side. You uh, understood how promotion worked. You know, started doing nonprofit shows and realizing, hey, you know, do radio. Oh, look at gee, we got they hadn't been doing that. Uh, but did you always have in your in your head that I want to be in front of that mic, or did, was it just a path that suddenly you know I know the one day that. You know, Watts put you there in front of that microphone, but was that always in your head? Because you said you were you would do these matches in your head when you were watching them. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I think I think it. Uh, I tried to bury it, <laughs> but I think it was there, and it was there a long, long time, uh, and it was there when it, when I finally got that feeling, it stayed there. Right. That I this is what I wanted to do. Uh, but here's the thing, man. Again, I didn't want to set myself up for failure. You know, I had no idea the route to take to get there. <laughs> yeah. The rest, pro wrestling is kind of like a, a, a non-violent mafia, as illustrated by uh, Blood Red, Daughter Green by Paul O'Brien. It's a phenomenal novel about the wrestling territory being equated to like the Sopranos. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. You didn't mess with each other's territories. You respected. You, yep. you know, they would trade uh, their talent. But yeah, that's a tremendous analogy. And uh, Vince was this guy who was knocking those territories off one by one. Yeah, he he was fearless, but he yeah. had a great vision. He had a great vision. Yeah. Hey, look, somebody to take uh, uh, pro wrestling out of the, the, the old proverbial smoke-filled arenas. 
And you know, of course, the business is the business, Sean. Nobody wants to put them over. Nobody wants to talk about it because it's wrestling. Yeah. And then, then those in the wrestling business want to uh, uh, not give them the credit that they deserve because they don't like their style. Mm-hmm. Their style of pro wrestling. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. And, and the, uh, I just don't get that at all, their style. So, um, it's entertainment. Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. That's, that's it's it. always been entertainment. Yeah, yeah. That's when I when anybody when people talk to me about it, I, I tell them, look, I look at the world through what entertains me, yep. and that entertains me. If you entertain me, I will watch. It's pretty simple. It really is, man. It really, <laughs> truly is. Pretty damn simple. So, so uh, hey, their uh, their brand is growing like crazy. I know their last financials were off the charts and. Yeah. The stock's up at $38. I'm just glad I got a bunch of it at 21 Yeah, I was going to say, I hope you uh, got in on some of that. Uh, that's oh, great. Hey. <laughs> when everybody was rolling out WWE in the mid-90s, yeah. and people were bolting, uh, business was bad. Yeah. The wrestling people, had, had most of us had to take major, major uh, salary decreases, pay yeah. cut, in other mm-hmm. words. Um, Vince said... Uh, Called in his office, the HR person, and said, here's the deal. I've got to cut your pay uh, but at the end of the conversation. But the bottom line, JR, is if you stay with me, I'm going to take care of you. Now, yeah. that's kind of a wrestle speak. Yeah, or, I hadn't heard that before. I could hear James Gandolfini telling, uh, you know, Christy that. Yeah. You know, I because I'm a mark for that stuff. But the <laughs> deal is, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm not leaving, and you have to do what you have to do, and we'll make it, we'll 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 get this thing back rolling because uh-huh. the talent roster is going to be looking different very very soon. Yeah. Uh, before I want to get to your arrival, Jim, in in the WWE, but uh, I want to talk about the WCW because that is where. Um, you really launched into the stratosphere as far as being a the recognized voice, one of the uh, most recognized voice is, uh, voices in wrestling. Uh, but did the early on when the, when the magic was happening, t- tell me about the atmosphere there. Was it still uh, all these different uh, factions, people colliding, and somehow making a mix? That that work that you knew was only going to happen for a short period of time. What what do you uh, really when vividly do you recall of that time when uh, you know that was rivaling the WWF? Well, uh, and it could have rivaled them even more, but there was poor leadership at the top that never really got straightened out until you know Eric Bischoff had some good years there. They made a lot of money. Of a year or two, I'm not sure. I, I shouldn't say a year or two. That's probably not accurate. And I'm not, I'm not dissing it. Uh, but we had trouble in the front office from the first day. Really? And then they formed a great big booking committee that had a lot of active performers on it. Guys that that had a, a, a dog in the hunt. Mm-hmm. So the impartiality it was flushed down the toilet. It was a system built for malcontent, a lack of continuity, uh, among other things. It just wasn't good. And we try, and of course, well, we can make it work. We can make it work. You know, okay, it ain't going to work. 
<laughs> people are what they are. They they have they have a dog in the hunt, man. They're going to pull for their dog. It's just that simple. Well, and I know you love Dusty and uh, you know and, and Ric Flair, but uh, was that part of the problem? Putting those people in w- with so much control. Well, I don't think it's any. The, the, if you had to pick out a person, yeah, that was the culprit. You got to start at the top, and we had uh, Jack Petrick was over our division, and I think Jack looked at us kind of like he got punished when he got when Ted gave him the division after Ted bought out WC after Ted bought out Turner. Right. Or excuse me, yeah. after Ted brought out Crockett. Crockett, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then the first guy they hired was Jim Hurd. I never had really, I, I had a lot of headbuttings with him, but I take, but you got to remember too, he might have been right on some of those headbuttings. Mm-hmm. I might have been wrong. That's very, very possible. But he just didn't handle al- other alpha males the way they had to be handled. If you are in a management position in a wrestling uh, organization loaded with alpha males, guess what? Don't compete with them. Yeah. Why don't you manage them and not try to prove that you are? No, you're not the alpha male, Dusty. I'm the man. I'm the VP of this department. I'm the alpha male. Who gives a shit? Come on. So uh, that's I saw a lot of that there, and so. Uh, but Flair and Dusty, WCW would count the lucky stars at Flair and Dusty to the best all-time greats. Yeah, were there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a great name identity. They 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 were pros. They like me. Didn't want to fail. We, they wanted to. They wanted to be the best on the card, and I wanted to be the best on the show. Best yeah. voice you hear. We are all that way. Uh, we're maybe we're insecure. Whatever you want to say, probably so. I think a lot of performers are insecure, to be honest with you. Oh, sure. That's why they perform. They need, <laughs> yeah, the, they, need the, they need the adulation. They need to say people, yeah, I like you. I know. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> I feel like Sally Field at the Oscars. Yeah, uh, exactly. If they're yeah. all being honest, come on. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of that deal. I, I enjoyed Atlanta. Atlanta had too many cooks in the kitchen, simple as that. And they didn't produce enough television that you needed a, a, a battery of writers. Yeah. They did a, they did a, a syndicated show, or two syndicated shows. That's a two-man team for the syndicated shows. So there's two writers, two, two, two idea guys. Uh, and then you would have uh, two more for the Saturday Night TBS show. And so you, get, you could get six idea guys and produce all your television. And creatively, and you yeah. could. I really, really believe that they're the right six. But here's the problem with that: they, if they are in the active game, then they get manipulated by their buddies who are on the roster. Hey, brother, can you give me a segment? Can you? Hey, right. can I? I'd have match three. Hey, brother, Ray. Yeah. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. so right. uh, and then you got it. But then, if you bring me an idea and I'm the guy in charge and my ass is on the line. Uh, you bring me an idea, and I happen not to like it right now. Then too many take it personally. Right. Oh, he's not taking any of my ideas. He's trying to bury me. Yeah. Brother, what am I going to do? Same deal. Yeah. Uh, how how difficult? Yeah, but how difficult was it for you, Jim, to be? So, if, because I see throughout your career, really, that that 
like I never, I, when I was with the WWF, uh, and you know how small Camelot was then. We, it was a very small world. But you, you, you almost didn't want to be in that inner circle. I mean, you wanted to be in good standing, but you, you didn't want to be too close to that fire. And I look at your entire career, and unfortunately, you were that talented, not just as an announcer, but you also were on the side of management. So here you are, this guy, who, if you were just an announcer, you could, not you'd say be one of the boys, but you, you stay on that uh, perimeter. You don't have to hear about what's booked. You don't have to worry about angle. But you're not. You're that guy. You're, you're both sides. So you got both sides at you. So do you think along the way that that might have been uh, part of the problem, part of part of what uh, you know where you ended up in so many different confrontations with with uh, and, and people not understanding exactly you know what your your position was on things? I guess is a good way to put it. <laughs> it might have been. It might have been Sean. I think it's really me how I handle situations. Uh, you know, healthy. You know, along the way, I lost my mother, and I lost my father. Uh, uh, you know, my mother-in-law died of cancer. Uh, you know, it's it's just I, I was getting older. The Bell's palsy was, you know, it, you find very few people have ever had one bout of Bell's palsy, much less three. Yeah. So I had a lot of stress. I was booking the house shows, the cards. I was doing the payroll, <laughs> managing the roster. Uh, if they, if they wanted something done, they came through me or they went to Vince. Yeah. But how about with the WCW? We wasn't the same situation. And how did you handle always being that guy in the middle? It wasn't that bad because there's, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen there. WWE had symmetry and organization for me. Right. And everybody and my role was clearly defined. CJR. I've had Vince's had guys come and I said, if you keep talking to everybody that comes in here, I don't even know why I made the trip. Yeah. He starts laughing, right? He said, am I doing it to you again? I said, you just tell them to come, come see me. And after a while, you'll get about a 10% of, what, of the interruptions you're getting now. All of a sudden, he started doing that. Yeah. Well, I went to Vince first, JR. I said, I know. <laughs> I know. I talked to him. I worked pretty close with him. I said, no problem, though. That's fine. If I were you, I'd go to this, too. You know, you yeah. mentioned that when you finally made that phone call, uh, you said, uh, and, and we'll talk about, I know the other one was to Jan, but uh, when you made that phone call to the, the, the WWF, um, that it changed your life. But uh, when did you realize it was, it was time to go or it was you, they were going to push you uh, out the door uh, in uh, 93 with the WCW? And no. did it come down to the point that, you know, this, where, well, where else you, do I go? In the territory days of wrestling, yeah. which I was brought into this wrestling world in 1974, as we've talked about, um, the, the, the fascinating, the two things that fascinated me as being told to me by the, by the boys on the road, road trips, yeah. these car trips were, uh, that trips they've taken to Japan because the culture is different and, and was even more different in the seventies, sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love those stories. It's just, yeah. you know, kind of a romantic look at the, 
you know, wrestling in exotic world and the food and all this yeah. stuff. So anyway, I uh, thought about that, and uh, uh, they told me the stories about New York. It's New York. They were talking about yeah. the territory of WWWF. Boy, someday, kid, I don't think they hire referees out of the, out of the area, but boy, if you ever, <laughs> you ever got a gig there, you, you, you can't say you've made it until you work New York. That was Oz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, yeah, and so, uh, so since I first got into the dang business, Sean, I've heard about New York. Yeah. It became this fantasy place full of milk and honey and loaded with money. You know, uh and, uh, you know, little did I know that I would, you know, I moved that would move there and I'll move back and move. You know, I've had a couple of, like I told about the cable guy, I've had a couple of interruptions in service, (laughs) uh, as part of the journey, man, it is, I, I think it was destined meant to be, I can't explain why I think it's meant to be, but it was too significant in my life to happen for not to have significance. I'd yeah. like to think I'm a better guy. Yeah. So when you uh, uh, made that trip, uh, I believe it's to Augusta, Georgia, you'd, you'd uh, set up a meeting with Vince and you went to a TV taping. Uh, going through your mind, you're, you're pitching yourself for a job here. And it ended up being a pretty lengthy conversation. But what were, what was your best hope for that meeting? And then... Uh, were you amazed at the way it turned out uh, almost immediately? Yeah, I didn't know if I was on his radar or not. No. And again, there's no social media gossip out there to say that McMahon likes Ross. Yeah. Uh, and if he had said it in one of his meetings, somebody would have leaked it. Uh, so, but I didn't know how, how his, he, he interpreted my work. Uh, I know he was aware of my non-announcing work as well. I think that was kind of a Mm-hmm. Well, he likes uh, people who have uh, are multifaceted that he can use yeah. in uh, different ways. Well, the, the old deal is, you know, when I first got in the business, I was I learned to drive a ring truck. I learned to put the ring yeah. up and take it down. Referee. I wanted to have more tools in my toolbox yeah. than just one skill. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's smart, even in today's market, to have a oh, couple yeah. of things do yeah. well. You know. Uh, but yeah, I no, I didn't think it. Gosh, I, I think it would end up. You know, I don't know who his number one guy was. You know, I, I'll, I'll uh, acquiesce to Kevin Dunn, but if Kevin was one, I was two. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because he always said the most important thing in this company was talent and television. Absolutely. So, and we we were the guys who were caretakers of those two divisions. So when you arrived at WrestleMania nine in the, you know, the, uh, the, the Caesar atmosphere there in Vegas, uh, did you think you'd arrived? Was, was that, uh, kind of a, a, a real turning point for you to look around and say, you know, this kid from Westville, Oklahoma. I looked around the room at a bunch yeah. of sad faces and pissed off guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, it felt like it was like I had leprosy. So you knew that going in. I mean, you mentioned how even in that meeting with, with Vince at that uh, arena in Augusta that you came out and your all four tires had been slashed. Yeah. Uh, do you remember thinking, this this ain't going to get easier? Uh, no, I knew it was going to be a challenge. But, yeah. you know, look. As bad I, as you th- as it turned out. I mean, I've been on the road a long time, man, 19 years. 
Yeah. I'm not letting slash tires and boo-boo faces and and uh, uh, bullies uh, run me away from what I've been working for 19 years to get to. Yeah. So you're to hell with them. Uh, the uh, and really that's that and that's part of ego. You know, it's like I tell myself, "I got your Jr." I wasn't Jr. then, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I uh, that was no, I'm, I'm going for it, and uh, uh, I had no regrets, not one of, the, of the, all of it, including when I screwed up and I was sent home, and I took all the responsibility for that. I I wasn't an easy son of a bitch to manage, Sean. I did, I was high strung. I was I was ubiquitous. I had my finger in every pie. I was protective. I was egocentric. Uh, I made a lot of good decisions, and some of them are still working and still making millions, and some of them are millionaires. So I made yeah. a lot of good decisions. Yeah. Uh, but I was no day at the beach. So are you and, telling the first time that you were let go because that that first run? And this is what I, I tell you, Jim. I look at the. <laughs> The time that you spent there and then were gone and then came back and then went, I just, I'm, I'm astounded that I don't, you, you talk about getting back up uh, and doing that, but uh, was that, that, that first run where you just kind of like, what, you know, I just got here. Yeah. Well, see, I got, I got, I just gotten there Yeah. And, and then I got my, that first bout of Bell's policy in January, uh. I came to work there in March the previous year. Then now I'm in January. So, uh, uh uh, and I'm, and I just got married in October. <laughs> it, wasn't a good, it wasn't a good time at all, but, <laughs> but, here, but here, here's the deal, man. Yeah. I, I graduated with 50 kids, a fat kid. You know, I learned to play football. I played basketball and football. I was a four year letterman in both because I didn't want to be, they didn't pick on the chubby kid that was an athlete. They don't have the balls to do that. Uh, because you got your football player buddies with you, and you know it's a, it's kind of a little brotherhood there. I'm not saying it's always healthy, but it's a brotherhood yeah. there. Yeah. So, uh, so I worked hard to get past that, but man, I I just could not let that opportunity slide by. And uh, but yeah, Vince and I had a it was it was the best it was the best best meeting ever because they got me in the door. Yeah. And then coming back, and let's—I mean, we we can go over these, you know, back, back and forth on the different appearances there. You you just were just kept getting up. That's in your DNA. Uh, but it's our choice, Sean. Yeah, it's our yeah. choice. I I told somebody this yesterday. They said, "Have a good day, Jr." And I said, "Oh, don't worry, I am." Yeah, that's my choice to have a good day, yeah. and I choose that. Yeah. It's just but, it's a mindset, man. Yeah. I've had some bad days here. You know, I'm trying my wife issues or the. Uh, the legal people, I can't, they haven't returned her Rolex or a wedding ring. And yeah. it's a year, up, and that's not going to be found. Hell, I know that now. I got, I got to represent her. She deserves better than the court case, so how the court case was adjudicated. So I'm not going to lay down this, this is it. So I got to try to find her stuff, and that's been a pain in the butt. Uh, and I, just, I talked to People Magazine, they call me. Really? And, I guess I'm going to do something with it. They're going to, they interviewed me for a long time, so I don't know what that, where that's going. Maybe online, who knows. But nonetheless, uh, there's an interest in it. And uh, But, you know, hey, look, I, I, at the end of the day, there's always something good that's going on. Yeah. There's always something good, man, you know, I, in my life. Because nothing else, I can call my daughters. Yeah. They're always good. 
Well, I'm glad because you talk about, you know, the early days you weren't around much, and it's awesome that uh, – Oh yeah, have you? You're, uh, re, you've repaired that and uh, and are close to them. Uh, but tell me about Jim. Tell me about those good years with uh, the WWE and and Raw and all the, the the you know the Attitude Era with the Rock and and Stone Cold, which I know you championed. Uh, what was that period of time for, for you? Does that uh, that run? And and I'm I know there was still a lot of stuff uh, happening maybe behind the curtain. But do you look back at that period of uh, really uh, reaching the pinnacle of, of your announcing career and, and what you brought to uh, the success of the WWE? I, I like to think that some of my contributions manifested themselves uh, significantly during that era because we got lucky and hit on some talent. Uh, we had some talents that I signed that I thought would be good that became great. Yeah. Uh, I, I had some that I thought would be good and they became are great and off the page we're yeah. lucky yeah. so sometimes that happens that way yeah but uh, wasn't so much luck jim i mean when you look back at that at that that period of time that uh when you had you know dx and you know with Shawn michaels and uh the mick foley there and these guys we mentioned rock and stone cold under you know undertaker uh why did that period, though, do you think, and outside of luck, did it did it work so well? Did it come together? Players, man. The players. The, really? The players did it. You know, the, the wrestlers, the, the talent. They were very talented, obviously. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them were, had had some territory experience and, and, and were very fundamentally sound in that respect. Uh, the new ones we recruited were good athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, in one class uh, that we signed, it was it, was, it had uh, Brock Lesnar, John Cena, Dave Bautista, Randy Orton, and Shelton Benjamin in it. <laughs> and so there's five extraordinary athletes, <laughs> and uh, they don't grow on trees, as we're finding out. They're, they're just not everywhere. No. So the, I always give the credit to the talent because, I mean. You got to catch them on TV, and you got to have yays like you and me to describe what the heck they're doing. But the bottom line is, if you don't have the players, i.e., the wrestlers, it really makes it challenging. Uh, and we had guys, we had several of those guys I mentioned, and I just mentioned, you know, Sean, Hunter, and all those guys yeah. that were really over. Yeah, and absolutely. Headline a variety of entities could headline a show, and you wouldn't feel like you get the V show or the C show. You know, so uh, it was. Was it also? Yeah, but Jim, was it also a period of time? And I I talked to Vince Russo about this. I don't know uh, how much you credit what he brought to the table or the creative at that period of time. Uh, I think you definitely need good creative. But as you just mentioned, if you don't have the people that can uh, take that and run with it, like Rock had to do, he had to make it his own. You could you could sit there and tell him, okay, this is who this guy is. And he's not necessarily going to get it. We've seen that before. So uh, how much of that combination, uh, you mentioned that the, you know, the talent, but also uh, the creative at that period of time too. Uh, Well, Vince made, he and Ed Farrar made significant contributions. Uh Uh, They had a different style. I call it kind of the Howard Sternish a hard stern model of writing a wrestling show, uh-huh. but the company wanted to be edgier. They want to go there. Yeah. 
And those yeah. guys, the right place at the right time, like a lot of us are, and they uh, were able to write that material. And, and they did a nice job of it. Uh, but none of us that have been in administration or creative, if somebody out there is, you hear on a podcast or whatever, Sean, and they're, they're not giving the credit to the talent for a, for a hot territory, hot mm-hmm. club, hot TV right. show, then, you know, we're being, we're really being egocentric. So it always starts with the talent. Yeah. Because if it didn't, you get these great writers that had wonderful success. You take them someplace and start a territory, uh, uh, and you have to pay your guys a whole lot less than WWE paying them. So it's all about the writing. If you're okay, but we know it's not all about the writing. It's not all about the coaching. It's about the players executing and, and making winning plays. Yeah. So do you think with people and and I, uh, you see some of these guys today, and I, I just you know uh, you know Roman. Uh, and uh, Braun and I, you know, I, I look at uh, these guys. It's tremendous talents. I think that even if if they would have been around in the '80s, they would have been tremendously successful. Yep. But do you right. think it's a part where, like I mentioned, like with with the uh, with the Rock or or Stone Cold, that at some point they just took it, and maybe today they're not given that opportunity so much because it is so closely scripted. And maybe I'm, I'm wrong with that because I'm certain I'm not there. I just look at it from what I see. And I say, God, these guys are just, they, they are incredibly talented. I know it. I see it. But you don't see them able to do that. And, I'm, and I think more and more, like with what they're doing with Braun, and I think that he's somebody. But you know what I'm saying? Like back then, you were given that chance. There might be a storyline, but it was, okay, what are you going to make with this? What are you going to do right. with it? Well, those guys, uh, the, the problem, the problem, uh, that some of these kids have, younger guys have, as they are evolving their TV personas, is that they don't have an overabundance of experienced, proven stars to mm. hang with. Mm. They're hanging with like talent level guys, or even younger. Yeah. Well, also guys. you don't have also you don't have that old school. Uh, you know how much like hey, how much look I mean. how much you learned about the psychology of what went on in the ring just from all those nights those rides the you know they don't have that experience. Oh, when, when the Rock talks about you know being his his grandfather and his father being in the <laughs> business, that has multiple uh, uh, meanings. Yeah. It's first of all he he loves the business because it's part of his family heritage for you know since before he was born. Mm-hmm. But it's, it was also a time for sharing. When his dad was home, what do you think they talked about? Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When he saw Grandpa, he, what do you think he talked about? Wrestling. Yeah. It was a link. It's like me eating that vanilla ice cream and Hershey syrup on Saturday night with my grandma and grandpa. It reminds me of wrestling. Reminds me of those type things, and that's what some people just can't get. How were you able to balance the the two worlds? I mean, being uh, you know senior VP of talent relations, which I have to imagine is an incredible position to try and uh, you know and stay afloat in, and then and then step behind the mic and be, have to be able to you know be the best. Well, I, along the way, I had to kind of adjust my schedule because yeah. I were talking. I said, best of the time we get here." have our two or three production meetings. I do my talent relations work. Yeah. And we go on the air at 9 Eastern back in the day. I guess I still do. 
uh, eight, I don't know, eight, I don't know, Central Time guy, but let's say nine Eastern. I said, I've already been uh, up and at it about 12 hours. So the most important thing I'm going to do all day, and that's going to narrate your show, yeah. I'm already 12 hours in. Crazy. So uh, for him, that's no hill for that's no problem. No hill for a stepper, as they say, because he didn't want to sleep anyway. <laughs> I don't so, think he does. You know, I, I think what I need he goes to into is, a chamber somewhere, Jim. They, they yeah. pump in something. Well, he, what he did, he just let me. Uh, I, I'd come to TV late. You know, I'd go to the hotel, TV hotel. I'd, I would, uh, you know, take a little siesta, change clothes, blah, blah, blah. Then go to the building in the mid-afternoon. So then by the time I went on the air, I was only been there six hours. Right. But it was never easy. I had a, I, had, I probably had a, a, a work ethic to a fault sometimes, uh, as I've, we talk about in my book. And uh, I'm not proud of that. I'm not bragging about it. It's not a red badge of courage or something, or whatever we call it. Mm-hmm. I don't like I, I. But anyway, uh, he was good about that. But it was challenging. But I loved what I did. And you know the old saying, you love what you do, you never have a work a day in your life, blah, blah, blah. There's a little bit of truth to that. It was a dream job. It was a dream job. First of all, I'm broadcasting the lead guy on the most watched program in the genre's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I'm working with a great partner. Um, uh, you know, this show is big time. Live, live. There's no net. Man, yeah. it's, it's an adrenaline rush to beat all adrenaline rushes. And then I get to manage these rosters and be like the football guy that I probably wanted to be all along and, you know, uh, help put together a roster and a training uh, process. And so, uh, and help, be able to help somebody every now and then, you know, give them some advice, front them some money, uh, help them out. Yeah. You, you, know, when you, you talked earlier about guys missing things at home. They they do. But let me tell you something. I tried to unbook guys to give them some time at home and they didn't want it. Yeah. No, some and of them were addicted also, to, the, to that life. And then I've also, I also was very happy to tell them, uh, you know, uh, hey, what's your kid's softball game or baseball game or recital? I, they, were, they would come to me with re- time off requests that heretofore was, were not greeted with great uh, uh, popularity, yeah. positivity. Yeah. And I wanted them to take those. I always figured if I got you home more and you got to recharge and be dad, be things that's really, truly fulfilling to you. Uh, then when you come back to me, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more productive. I got a better guy or gal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are there, uh, I, I know you've been asked this before, but I, I, I look back and I, you look at all the different times you've sat at that desk and called these, these incredible events. Are there a couple that just really stand out or moments that, uh, really uh, have stuck in your in your in your heart. I think uh, all, after all these years. Uh, in '89, I had three uh, Ric Flair Ricky Steamboat matches on a pay per view. Uh, yeah, and uh, I did it with three different partners, <laughs> and I absolutely adored those matches. They, they those guys were so good that they changed all the matches. They had a few of their signature things in them, obviously, but the theory of the match changed, and I just admired their work. Yeah. So uh, 
I don't know I'll if Ricky gets. I mean, he's well recognized, but I don't know you you hear about some of the greatest matches ever, and Ricky Steamboat's name keeps coming up. We, you know, there's a reason for it. That's not. It's not coincidence. I yeah. promise you. Yeah. Uh, I. I get probably in WWE, there's a lot of them, you know, uh, that people bring up. Uh, Austin's title win, when I said the Austin era has begun, yeah. I'll get Sean. Uh, even though Sean was hurt, I still thought they had a really good match. Yeah. Uh, I loved, uh, well, the big thing is I get asked pretty much every day on social media, some, some in a shape, form, or fashion, that, uh, uh, the Mick Foley being tossed off the hell in a cell in 1998. This is 20, that, I, I get that all the time, and sure. I get people quoting. I get. I had a guy the other day that, that quoted all my verbiage in that, uh, standing <laughs> behind me in an American Airlines priority lane. <laughs> wow, that's a surreal experience. Oh yeah, I, I told him. I said, "Hey, buddy, you're a little too close." Yeah, well, I'm, way I'm too sorry. Close. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you know that. Uh, Hogan and Rock. That was kind of a double meaning there, too, Jim. I mean, a little too close, and then, wow, you being able to do that is a little too close. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, his little boy was with him. He said, he does it all the time, JR, and mom hates it. <laughs> so we got a smart mom. <laughs> That's great. So the kid did was you, trying to get his out like a nerd but or goof you, or whatever. But I hate it. Is there I, 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 I took a picture with him. I, it's just, it's part of this crazy, it's this, the fans are insanely loyal to yes. a fault sometimes. Yeah, unbelievable. Is there a, a wrestler you ever worried about more uh, for what he did in the ring than Mick Foley? <laughs> they could well, see- uh, no. <laughs> because he, and the reason for it wasn't because of the exact, um, Mechanics, but his size, but his bump. size in doing those moves, yeah. where it was unheard of, yeah. because you know that anatomically, <laughs> you're going to break down really, really quick at 300 and plus doing these amazing bumps. Yeah. So yeah, that one, and then but hey, look, I see kids all the time now, man. That there's not a risk they won't take. Yeah, the and bar keeps getting higher. On the apron and. I just feel real badly for him because somewhere along the way, they just got simply got the wrong message. Yeah. Uh, Jim, when you talk about, uh, and I, I don't want you to say my favorite, but of all the uh, other great talents you've worked with who have sat next to you, uh, who do you think you worked best with that you thought as an entertainment uh, package was the best? And who well, I... I get a lot of I get I got good rubs and a lot of really really good talents to tell you the yeah. truth. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I love working with Bob Cottle. I love working with Tony Schiavone back in the WCW days. Dusty was fun to work with. Everybody brought something different to the dance. Yeah. Uh, Terry Funk was very very underrated, uh, and he was excellent. Jim Cornette, quick, quitted, fast. Mm-hmm. Caustic pers- a caustic personality, perfect for a uh, a villain analyst, shall we say. Yeah. But I never, never end- I had a lot of, at a certain point in my career, well, I'd like to give you an example, in Atlanta. Nobody wanted to work with Paul Heyman. He was a little high strung, shall we say. Yeah. And uh, I said, I wanna, I'll work with him. Uh-huh. 
I want him on the Saturday Night TVS show with me and pay-per-views. And the booking committee almost gave me a standing ovation. <laughs> because they said, finally, that son of a bitch is off our hands. <laughs> you know, one of the, he's only arguably the, one of the top talkers in the history of the business, right? So yeah, yeah. I, I know what he's going to do for me. He's going to give me uh, a partner that I can invest in, you know? Yeah. He's, he was great. So, uh, but that's how that worked. But in WWE, uh, you know, of course, my longest stint was with Jerry Lawler, who's yeah. the talented one of the team. And uh, uh, he never saw any prep work he wanted to do. And so, and by him not doing it, he's better because he's more spontaneous. Right. He pre- he does not precondition himself on nothing. <laughs> uh, he's really, really good. And uh, and then I had a I had about a year in in the with Paul Heyman in WWE, which was great. So I've really been lucky, man. I've had so I've had I've had a real good crew of uh, uh, partners, you know, off the wall partners. Even in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, when I was in one of my sabbaticals, uh, I worked <laughs> for Jim, and I had uh, Les uh, Thatcher as my partner and uh-huh. he was really underrated off the radar guy. So, and of course I got to work with my, my hero, Gordon Soli a few times, uh, but he has kind of wow. passed the pail at yeah. that point. Uh, yeah. but I respect him so much. I sacrificed what some people said was our, uh, the broadcast from my own ego of working with my hero. But I looked at it as a lot more than that. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, he deserved a better send-off than he got. And I thought, well, you know, I need to, i got to help Gordon out because that's just, somebody's got to help him. And, yeah. and what, what's going to happen to me when I'm when I'm in my 70s? Mm-hmm. Anybody want to, you know, I, that kind of stuff bothers you as you get older. So, uh, but Gordon was great. But I had some good ones, Sean. I was lucky, man. I never, I never had, I never had a, a bad partner for long. Uh, and I don't know if I really had any bad partners. Yeah. There's a way if you're a good broadcaster, you one of the parts of broadcasting that you're good at is listening. Yeah. Listen. Good advice. And, if yeah, you're listening connect, out there. <laughs> and connect the dots. Yeah. Listen, connect the dots. And uh I always believed that I was a good enough listener that I could make sure I could keep my partner involved and sounding good, you know. Yeah. So it's, it, it was good, though. I, I Again, as I said earlier, I, I, I've i been really blessed, man. You know, I've had a couple of some personal challenges, but so be it. That's life, unfortunately. But all in all, it's been a magical, magical run for me. You know, the fat kid from eastern Oklahoma with the Oklahoma accent and the facial paralysis actually had a career. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it seems that you, you'd mentioned the, the personal uh, obstacles you faced along the way. Uh, along with the grief that, that has come with it as well, uh, you mentioned before about Bell's palsy, and you you said you've had three episodes with it now. Uh, it, it, there's not a lot that people even still really understand about why that happens and what, what, how it you know uh, strikes people. Um, but it, it but it is something you've dealt with, and is it you just this apprehension that you don't know when it's Absolutely. going to happen and. Absolutely. I'm obviously for however, I'm, however I'm wired. Yeah. Uh, the bells. I'm more prone to Bell's palsy, having it three times. Uh, but I think that 
things like, you you know, I'm recognizable, especially when I'm wearing my hat. Then you wonder how people are looking at you, what they're thinking. You know, I've had people come to me and said, I didn't know you had a stroke. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a stroke yet. Uh, but if I get too many stroke questions today, I might. Yeah. I've had palsy. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of stuff. You try to laugh it off, blow it off. You know, I, I even did something a blog one time on my website about the, the, the 10 coolest things about, uh, or 10 things to know about Bell's palsy. And one of them is you can't whistle, you can't pucker, <laughs> you know, but it's really fun to watch me eat hot soup. <laughs> Well, do you think in some ways you've helped other people, though, that have experiences? I'm sure you hear from them all the time. All the time. I try to. And I am getting uh, – people are, are, are aware of my situation, and they uh, they send me things. And I retweet for them, uh, Facial Paralysis uh, Foundation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so I try to help them social media-wise. And, you know, I would do more if I had the, uh, the opportunity. But, yeah, I like doing that. I like That's where social media can be a real plus, sharing information with others. And I, I do the same thing about sleep apnea. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I'm a big-time uh, proponent of, of uh, sleep apnea care. And when, I, when my wife said uh, I have stopped breathing, I thought she was exaggerating, so... She told my doctor I get the sleep test and I, I stopped breathing ninety nine times in an hour. Wow! Yeah, so I was. I'm looking. I'm like, I'm around the. I'm around the bend here uh, to dying, mm. and so thank God uh, we get that diagnosed. And I wear a mask, you know, the sleep mask. But I, I, I see. I've even done this on airplanes. Uh, sitting beside in a group, sitting beside the people, and you hear people breathing hard or. or you know, you can tell the noise. Right. There's a noise you can tell. Uh-huh. And I've I've talked to a lot of people. Said, "Hey, excuse me, I wonder why awake. Do you have bills? Or do you have uh, sleep apnea? Uh-huh. I don't think so." I said, "Well, here's a, here's what I heard. So I'm not telling you to panic, but you may have sleep apnea. And but it's the easiest test in the world to get. It's covered by insurance. And I'm not an insurance man. I don't sell sleep apnea equipment." Yeah. I am a user, yeah. but it saved my life. You know, yeah. I did a feature for Vince one time with Reggie White in Knoxville, uh, and Reggie had sleep apnea real bad, but he wouldn't yeah. wear the mask because it, he thought that it, it made him look weak. <laughs> and uh, that's what that's what killed Reggie. He died in his sleep. Yeah. A little harder yeah. from uh, results of uh, sleep apnea. So I have my little calls to Sean that I like to speak out for, but uh, I, I, I don't get very political, quite frankly. This other stuff's better. Yeah. Spend some time doing trying to improve your community or, you know, your your population or whatever. Uh, so I enjoy that. Yeah. And I know that uh, it has been really difficult for you uh, after the loss of of Jan. And I wanted I wanted a chance to talk to to her about her a little bit because um, you you talk in the book about uh, having two failed marriages and that you were afraid to uh, really make that commitment or because you didn't think you could do it. And you meet this person who I find amusing that Ric Flair claims that uh, he introduced you to her <laughs> on a plane. Uh, if, if you've read the book, uh, folks, uh, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling, uh, there is a portion in there where uh, Ric Flair is being Ric Flair on a plane, basically. And <laughs> so Jan saw through side, 
and they only had four first class seats and yeah. he and I are sitting side by side in two of them. Yeah. So, but he, anyway, uh, I, my wife told me, he said, well, I said, he's telling that story again. He said, I know he loves it. Just leave him alone. But let him have it. <laughs> yeah. He, he loves that story. So I, we just acknowledged it went on. So it's fine. What the heck? It's just Rick. That's what now, you love I, about it. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, what your faith is. I don't know what you, what you believe in fate. Uh, I didn't do it so well the first time. I've, I've only been down, down that road the first time, but then I met somebody a few years back here who, who has changed my life completely. It's like we were waiting for each other. And it, it seems like that's what happened to you. And Absolutely. I want to ask, like, what was it that, and I know it took you a while, but when you realize, you know what, this, whatever it is, uh, this is right. It's intangible, man. There's a, there's a, there's a odorless, smellless, uh, sightless feel. It's an aura and your auras connect. It sounds crazy. I get it, but yeah. there's an intangible and, uh, I, we really uh, hit it off. And here's the thing, uh, and better evidence of that is that we were together 25 years and all, I was in the wrestling business every day of those 25 years. Wow. And that's, uh, almost a milestone. Yeah. That's like, you know, uh, in dog in wrestling years, that's like a hundred years or something. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. uh, and through those years where she was answering the phone in the middle of the night, before we all got cell phones, yeah, talking people off the ledge, uh, have them over to our house. She cooked meals for our talents. She did talents laundry uh, when they're on the road and they come by uh, for that meal. And would I'd always say, bring your gear, and, and we would wash it for them, and Jan would wash it for them. Yeah. Not we, she. So uh, and she she got she get, became a big fan of the business. Uh, she's a, she grew up in Pittsburgh, you know, Cedar fan, big, big time. And, uh, and Bruno, you know, Bruno San Martino. Yeah. So, uh, and she's a, a full-blooded Italian. Just, she was just great. My dad said I was, uh, I robbed the cradle because she's, she's 10 years younger than me and she was a former gymnast. So I told my dad, I said, dad, I'm married to a woman and I'll, I'll introduce you to her. And she's, you know, she's Italian. He said, you're married an Italian, yeah, an <laughs> Italian, and you're going to love her. Yeah. And uh, uh, he just, you know, he did love her. Everybody loved her. She's yeah, she oh, had that great yeah, personality Chris of a she's Miss Congeniality, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm uh, sorry I didn't ever have the opportunity to meet her, but I know I remember when when uh, she passed, and I talked to Chris Chambers with the WWE, and I said, you know, how, how's Jr. doing? And he said, you know. Uh, horribly and he said everyone everything about her was wonderful everybody loved her and uh everybody from you know knew her at the facility and of course uh at all the uh you know the guys around the road and everything else but um i know it's been so difficult for you it's been getting out to do uh events and and being with people uh helped you that's my salvation that's my that's my safe place yeah. Uh, as we said, and uh, we tongue in cheek or, or eyebrows up, talk about some of our fans are very, very, uh, maybe over, over, over zealous at times. Uh, but I have found, uh, that's my oasis, the mm-hmm. sanctuary. And look, they're not going to make or break me financially. 
And it's really not about that. If I can make sure my expenses are paid, uh, then I'm pretty happy. If I make a little bit of money, then I'm even a little happier. But what I did get was fan uh, interaction. And I am humbled that my persona on has become beloved by so many people. That sounds so self-serving. I am overwhelmed by that. I didn't really believe that uh, that was possible because some of my biggest challenges were before the social media days. So then when you have an emergency or, the, or something horrible happens, uh, you don't really fully experience it. Like I said, social media has changed everything. And it's, so I, I go out and do these shows. I enjoy doing them. I think J.R. and the King are going to do some shows together this year, some uh, uh, Q&As, which should be hilarious. Yeah. Uproarious, <laughs> because he's just that damn good. And I'm, yeah. and, and I'm the guy that's going to feed him the softballs, as if he needed them. He works just about every weekend. He still wrestles. Really? At 68, 69 yeah. maybe. I don't know. And his health is good now, huh? He's uh, taking care good. of himself. Yeah. He, you know, I asked him the other day, I said, King, what the hell, man? I mean, you both work too hard. We <laughs> work like we're broke, and we're neither one broke. Yeah. Why are we doing this? So we love it, JR. I said, how long are you going to wrestle? I'm going to wrestle as long as somebody will pay to, to see me do it. Wheel you in, right? Yeah, he said, I'm not, when they say, when they quit, when I quit, get, when I quit getting booked, and or if they quit coming to see me, I'm gone. So, you know, he's a legend. So he's, he, he's going to be able to wrestle as long as he physically can, physically can hold up. And, you know, for his sake, I hope that's for many years to come. Yeah. Now you credit, uh, Steve Austin also be one of your, your very close friends and, uh, he inducted you into the hall of fame. What did it? mean to you uh for that honor to come after uh that blazing trail that you had traveled well uh steve uh as a a pro probably more closely resembled my uh what i would how i would design a wrestler Mm. as far as as far as work ethic intensity Athleticism and toughness, mentality, uh, 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 drive—you know, uh, all of those things. But then beyond that, uh, you know, he's—he's—he's he's, he's had his laundry done in my house in Connecticut too. Yeah. Uh, but he was a friend of the family. Yeah. And he became, became a big friend of the family, and Jan loved him, and he loved her, and you know, uh, all of his. Uh, you know, we've been through all of his ups and downs. You know, when he came out of surgery, I was there. Uh, you know, he was not hired with a lot of fanfare. No. But I knew, and I they found it on a WCW show. I said, this was, there was a draft right there as the number one pick. And that was Austin coming to the ring. This yeah. was like before he ever thought about coming here, WWE. Yeah. So I really believed in him, and then we became buddies. And we, hey, look, we're the same ilk, you know. We're both uncouth rednecks. <laughs> and made a little bit of money, him more yeah, than much more than the me. way. Yeah. Yeah, and we're in the central time zone and we like barbecue, we like beer and you know, we have a lot in common. Uh so uh that was so important. He was a natural choice to induct you? I thought so. Yeah. I thought and what, so. And what did it mean when you stood on that stage? What did it mean to you to have that uh honor? Uh 
I was, uh, it's pretty humbling. Yeah. I have our friends come up from Oklahoma to, to Detroit. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, it was, uh, kind of surreal. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, I thought that that was, this is the rest of paranoia again, that I thought, well, there must be figuring to make a change. <laughs> it never <laughs> leaves, does it? No, no, it doesn't leave you. And it's, but you know, I, it was cool, man. It was good. I, I wish I had a chance to do a speech over. I'd have, I'd have been much shorter. <laughs> I would have, and I, and I would have been a much more, I was telling everybody how to make the damn watch. And I should have just told them what time it is and thanked them and got the hell out of there. Is there something think, you didn't say you want, you, you wish you would have? No, not really. I just wish I had not said as much. <laughs> I, I could have better crafted a, uh, uh, a document there for my own use. Yeah. And, but you know, you get one chance at it. So I, if any of the hall of famers that are coming in the class this year are listening, say whatever you want, but say it as succinctly as it makes sense. Yeah. Cause you're, you know, it's a long night in that, uh, into that ceremony. Uh, slobber knocker, my life in wrestling uh, with Jim Ross. And uh, hey, uh, Jim, how can they get a hold of the book? What's the easiest way? I mean, online, uh, through Amazon, Amazon everywhere. Amazon, uh, all forms of Amazon have it. It's been the number one on their charts for a year. And it's, yep. it's fourth printing. It's doing great. I'm very blessed. I appreciate everybody that's, that's uh, bought it. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, Books a million, but uh, allegedly wherever books are sold, but I don't I don't buy that one yet. But it's damn sure it's at, at Amazon. You can you can order it today and have it tomorrow if you wanted to. So yep. books, that's the way I did. I got it the next day. So uh, do do it that way or uh, find it on the audio version. Let me tell you, pal. When you're when you're uh, about eight weeks after your wife's killed, and you're reading a book about, with her in it. Uh, you find out that uh, this was a little bit more challenging than I thought. Boy. It was the most challenging performance type work where you have to, to read out loud for resale mm. type thing that I ever did. It was uh, so the, the, if you like audio books, I haven't listened to it back, but if you like audio books, uh, folks, it's, uh, I'm told it's very good. So, uh, awesome. Check that and, out. Uh, and then the website. Because uh, people love that barbecue. You get yeah, jrsbarbecue dot com. For example. All right, uh, Jim. I want to um, uh, go ahead. I was just I'm getting ready to put a, a lot more effort into that little project too. So I got plenty to keep me busy. And oh, come uh, on, appreciate you having me on your show. Yeah, well, Jim, I want to thank you for uh, coming on. I only wish that uh, you had been around when I was with the the WWF slash WWE, as we always have to throw in there. Because I, I think we would have gotten along pretty well. And um, I, I know I would have learned a lot from you. I had some great mentors. I think you would have been one of them. I might have gotten you divorced, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I would have, I've been a good drinking buddy. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I did that uh, all on my own. But uh, I, I think I got it right the second time. And, uh, uh, it sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, and, and looking back, uh, could you have imagined uh, this path that you've traveled since your days? Oh, no, uh, heck. I'm so dang lucky and blessed. It just shows you, man. Sometimes yeah. ignorance is bliss. It really, truly is. Yeah. If I had a, if I lived in a more metropolitan area, if I had access to feedback from television professionals, 
uh, I would have probably been changing courses. And but I never, nobody told me I couldn't do it. Yeah. I'll tell you this final story. My, I was sitting at this kitchen table on Sunday, Sunday morning, and my grandma was cooking dinner. Hmm. And uh, I, my grandfather went on the table, my uncle, and in their overalls, all that farmer stuff. And they said, uh, they, my granny said, Jimmy, what do you want to be? That's long before JR. Jimmy, Jimmy, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, well, Granny, I think I want to be the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals and be like Jack Buck and Harry Carey. So my uncle almost did a spit take. My grandpa grunts. And, uh, like, you're, you're going to be on the farm. Get that craziness out of your mind. Because, see, I had a transistor radio that had a little plug, earplug, right? Yeah. So I listened to Kim Alex in Oklahoma every night. I was, a, I was a Cardinal baseball fanatic, but what I was, I was a Jack Buck and Harry Carey guy. Right. Right, so uh, uh, anyway, my grandma says to me this, this my sto- the punchline of the story is, well, Jimmy, somebody's going to do it. Why not you? So that's kind of, I think about that a lot, you know. Somebody's going to do WrestleMania. Why not you? Why not you? And I imagine they're looking down uh, and saying, you did okay, son. You did okay. All right. Yeah, Jim Ross, so. uh, Jim Ross, thank you so much for coming on primetime. Okay, Sean. Good to talk to you. 